Hi again, people of marketing. Yes, you guessed it. This right here is a little ad. I'm not sure how much you know about Planable, but we're a collaboration tool for social media teams, helping marketers around the world create, plan, review, approve, and schedule social media posts. The best part is that you can try Planable for free. No strings attached. And if it strikes your fancy, we got a special offer just for you. Yes, I'm talking to you, dear listener who hasn't skipped past the ad. Go to planable.io slash listeners and use the discount code when upgrading to get 30% of the first three months. That is planable.io slash listeners. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, this is Xenia Montan and welcome to another episode of People of Marketing Podcast. I'm the founder and CEO of Planable, the collaboration tool for social teams, and I launched this podcast to take a sneak peek into the lives of top marketers. Today, we're going to take a sneak peek into the career and the life of Steve Denker, the former Vice President of Marketing and Digital for Warner Media. In this role, Steve was responsible for the marketing, digital strategy, and social media planning, allocation, and campaign management across all platforms, as well as TCM digital products and operations. Steve also worked closely with HBO Max, overseeing social and linear executions, promoting the TCM classics on the streaming service. Steve, thank you so, so much for joining me today on People of Marketing. Such an honor to have you here. Thank you for having me, Ksenia, and I hope you're doing well during these, yes. these crazy times. Yes, I know. Uh, I hope you're doing well as well. Where are you based at the moment, Steve? I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, where I've, I've lived for the past about 20 or so years, but originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, okay, gotcha. How's, how are things in Atlanta? How's, uh, how's life? How's the weather? How are things? Life is good in Atlanta. Uh, we get a mild winter and we're kind of coming out of that now. Um, but most importantly, the city itself is such a hotbed of activity right now for companies coming here. Microsoft just announced a huge campus. Google is increasing their campus here, as well as other uh, consumer products companies. So it's, it's an exciting place for tech, for entertainment, for sports, and just for business in general. So it's a, it's a great place to be right now. Wow, amazing. I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost jealous. Atlanta sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to kickstart this conversation, Steve, by walking a bit through your career. You have a very, very impressive background. You've worked at amazing companies so far. And I want to I wanna learn a bit more about the early stages of your career and even more importantly about the young uh, Steve Denker, the one that was aspiring to work in marketing, and even before that. Um, sure. So I want to, you know, I want to ask you a question that is going to take us, you know, way back in, into your career. And that question is, if you remember, what was your first interaction with marketing, potentially when you were very young or uh, a teenager, or, you know, even younger, what got you into marketing in, in the first place? That's a, that's a great question. I, I've always loved advertising. It was something that I, I remember um, when I was young going to uh, baseball games with my dad and with my brothers. And 
I was almost more fascinated with the ads around the stadium and what was happening on the Jumbotron than I was the actual game itself. And I'm a, I'm a sports fan, but at the time, that just that attracted my attention more. So I remember thinking about, you know, just to and from the stadium, the billboards, and uh, watching games on TV and, and, and watching the ads. And, and at the time, of course, you know, there was, there was no targeting. You know, it was, it was just a free-for-all on what you were going to see. But, um, but I just found it very interesting. And from an early age, wanted to get into advertising and wanted to get into production and start making those. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the first memory that I have, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, really kind of wanting to, wanting to be part of that world. That is such a Super Bowl <laughs> moment. <laughs> uh, so typical for us marketers to enjoy ads much more than the actual <laughs> games. Um, uh, you know, I'm curious, you know, tell us a little bit about how you actually started in the career. I see now on LinkedIn that one of the first companies that you worked for uh, was, again, a legendary company, um, SS Warner Media. You started your career with, uh, with Coca-Cola. I look at Coca-Cola as really the first company that I worked for that really was towards that path um, of marketing and advertising. Um, and working directly with consumers. But my, my job out of college was with a company called Aramark, which was a um, concessionaire, among other things that they do in stadiums and arenas and entertainment venues. And um, I worked in Atlanta at the stadium where the Atlanta Braves played. And this is where I actually had a direct impact on what, uh, you know, again, thinking back to, to my 10 year old self and what I wanted to do, I had a direct impact on the ads that the fans were seeing. And I re recall um, very clearly that I would take a look at where Coca-Cola, for example, was positioning everything from the products on the menu boards to their umbrellas in, in general seating areas to their portable Coca-Cola stands and where these were positioned. And I had an opportunity to really work closely with the brand representatives and explain to them that the flow of what people were doing inside the stadium would be better if we moved something here or if we did this or if it was possible to um, get a different shot of the product because when someone's in line, you know, this is what they wanna see in order to kind of promote them grabbing an ice cold Coke, at, you know, with their hot dog or with their nachos. Yep. And those conversations actually led to Coca-Cola as I had an opportunity with some senior folks at Coke in the stadium to share with them a plan that I had put together. And I had done this with Budweiser and with Starbucks and with other products as well, but uh, Coke being in Atlanta and being such an iconic brand, uh, it was where I had that that at bat, so to speak, that opportunity. And following those conversations, there was an opportunity to join the Coca-Cola presence marketing team and actually do this for Coca-Cola in stadiums and arenas and, and at Disney and at Universal. So that's kind of where I, I saw that opportunity and took it. And from there, made the transition into the presence marketing group at Coca-Cola. Uh, and it was just an absolute you know, dream job in terms of working with properties like the NHL and airlines and hotels, Club Med, 
Blockbuster Video, all of these companies that were wow. utilizing Coca-Cola as not just a product that they sold, but as a marketing asset. That is amazing. Let's move forward a little bit with your career. What were the, you know, the steps that took you where you are today? I see that you have actually gone through an entrepreneurial experience as well. Sure. So tell us about that as well. You know, what were the the milestones and how you got at Warner Media and now transitioning mm-hmm. out of it as well. Absolutely. Uh, when I left Coca-Cola, there were, there were a couple of different things that I was looking for that at the time um, wasn't in my immediate future at the company. I was looking for more of a leadership position and to start managing um, and ha- gaining experience for managing teams. I was looking for more digital experience, which um, again, at the time was a little slow moving at the company. Yeah. And um, I was looking for real sales experience because I knew that, again, everything that I did in my career was going to involve sales. And while a lot of it was internal, I really wasn't, you know, I wasn't actually selling. It was Mm -hmm. more of collaborating. So, so I moved on to a media company, which eventually became the company Rent Path, which was just sold recently. And I was there for about seven years. I was heavy into the digital advertising. And this was a company we really took from a print publication to an entire digital experience. So I was working on the advertising side, both with agencies convincing them what the internet was in 2001 and why they should be a part of it, as well as with direct companies direct, again, getting them to, to integrate their messaging within this community of, of folks, you know, all over the country that are renting homes. So it was a, it was a great ride. I really enjoyed it. And I went from there years later to one of our top clients, which was based in New York. So I spent about, I lived in Atlanta, but spent about one week a month in Manhattan and lower Manhattan at their offices. The company was relocation.com. And Mm -hmm. it was an opportunity now to go from what I was doing on the marketing side to much more of a business development and relationship management position. So I led that for the company. Um, And then in 2010, 2010, late 2010, early 2011, uh, with a partner, we launched a site called beach.com. So yep. we set out, uh, this, was, this was my real first jump into being an entrepreneur. We set out to build the world's largest beach destination website, complete with vacation rental listings, with activities, with restaurants, um, and with expert content in over 500 beaches around the world. And we raised some money, some investment, had a great valuation, and ran the company for several years and really got, just continued to get, unfortunately, kind of knocked back by the competition. Because mm. at the time, the Expedias, the Travelocities, these companies were spending, they were spending a million dollars a month on SEO. We were spending $5,000. Yeah. So it was, it was very tough to compete in terms of eyeballs. And social media wasn't as strong as it is today in terms of using that as a, as a channel to really build right. a brand. So, so with that, you know, as, as things started winding down at beach.com, there was an opportunity to join a consulting firm here in Atlanta, a boutique consulting firm called TopRight. And that gave me an opportunity to work with multiple clients and take my experience from the startup, um, from digital marketing and advertising, from Coca-Cola and brand management into companies like uh, Blackstone was launching a new product, the financial services company. PBS was looking for ways to deliver messaging among their over 180 member stations around the country. Uh, there, was, there were healthcare companies that we worked with. There was a large cold storage 
kind of supply chain company called Agro Merchants Group, which was just recently sold also for about $1.7 billion this, uh, this past year that I had the opportunity to work with. And in a company like Agro, you know, it was at the very beginning where the founder came in, sat down in a conference room with me, and we looked at developing a logo, developing key messaging, positioning statement, where did he want to be in one, three, and five years? All of this initial, you know, the initial planning of, of launching a brand. So to see that that initial planning resulted in almost a $2 billion sale six or so years later was, was really exciting. And, and, then I, and then I made the transition in, in 2016, late 2016, to Warner Media, to Turner Classic Movies. And I can really walk that back and attribute it to how important it is when you're building relationships all throughout your career and throughout your life, that the people that are important in your life, the people that you want to move forward with, that you really work hard to maintain those relationships. There was a, a, a wonderful colleague of mine at Coca-Cola named Jennifer Dorian. She now happens to be the CEO of Atlanta's PBS and NPR radio and TV stations. And Jennifer and I made it a point to to maintain a, a connection with Jennifer, no matter how busy she was and the things she was doing, whether it was breakfast or lunch, two or three times a year, we always put it on the calendar and made it happen. And she was the general manager at Turner Classic Movies, and we had stayed connected. And, and, and I believe some of that work I did with PBS, the public broadcasting brand, which again, had a similar audience, it was not ad supported. It was, it was you know, that work that I did and what I'd shared with her, I think, was the catalyst for her to say, hey, listen, we're looking to build a marketing team at TCM. I'd like you to come in and speak with a few folks. And that was part of that transition into TCM. And then from there, I just ran with that opportunity. If you enjoy people of marketing and are interested in knowing more about influencer marketing, we've got a great podcast recommendation for you. Winfluence, the Influence Marketing Podcast, is hosted by the always charming Jason Falls. He interviews people of influencer marketing to help your business better understand how influence can work for you. Go subscribe at jason.online slash POM. That's jason.online slash POM. Wow, that, that's such an amazing background and just overall your story. I want to zoom in into the present. Recently, very, very recently, actually, you parted ways with Warner Media. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, my last day with Warner Media was just a few days ago. I was there for a little more than four years. And um, I, I cannot say enough good things about my experience there. I feel like I... Um, I, I must have gotten out 10 times what I put in and I, and I, I just put my soul into this. And I, it, it's such a great feeling to, to look back and, um, and kind of see the things that myself and my teams accomplished. But back in November of uh, 2020, the company undertook a pretty significant reorganization. And while some of that was due to COVID um, and the fact that production and other things were slowing down, uh, you know, and, and, and hopefully we'll be starting up soon, I think a lot of it also was um, was really kind of the new uh, positioning that Warner Media was taking, and that is this um, very focused kind of direct to consumer approach, and and the focus of HBO Max and building that streaming service 
uh, up to be the, you know, one of the premier, if not the premier streaming services available throughout the world, not just the United States. And a part of that, it, you know, involved some, some tough decisions by, by the executive team. And, and unfortunately, within the reorganization, my role was, was retooled and relocated to Los Angeles. And um, it just, you know, it, it was unfortunate in, in how much I loved the company. But again, I, I look back and, um, and see all the amazing things that my teams did. And fortunately, um, the majority of my teams are, are still intact, particularly the marketing team that I worked with. And it, yeah. it, this is such a, a, an amazing bunch of, uh, of folks. They're, they're all very good at what they do. They're very strong players. And um, I, I was relieved that no one on that team was affected by this, by this reorganization. Yeah. What's next for you, Steve? So a couple of things right now in terms of, you know, really getting back into networking and connecting with folks I haven't spoken with in a while, seeing what's available, looking for entrepreneurial opportunities, as well as keeping my eyes open. If there's a chance to be part of an organization where I can make a quick impact, create growth, help tell their story, whether it's in a new and innovative way or it's doubling down on the story they have now and, and telling it uh, to a larger audience. That's really what I'm looking for now. So I'm not necessarily um, looking at either, either startups or mm. smaller multinational companies. I'm really looking at the opportunity. And at the same time, Ksenia, I'm looking at, at a few things on my own. One of well, them in amazing. particular, <laughs> sure. You know, one of them in particular is, creating a, a, an e-newsletter for, the, for Gen X. I've always felt that Gen X, which I'm a part of, um, is kind of squeezed in the middle a little bit with us not being the digital first, mobile first generation yeah. and not being the, the boomers that are, are retired. We're not retired. You know, we've got kids, we've got parents. We're, we're taking care of both of them. And we also had an opportunity to just experience this, you know, the amazing 80s. Um, and, and, and a time where so much change took place across the world in science and economics and, and uh, you know, politics. And so I think this generation is, is I won't say ignored by advertisers, but- A bit overlooked. Yeah. Overlooked is, is a much better word. So, yeah. so, so I've, launched, I've launched an e-newsletter called Fast Times, and we're just starting to sign people up now on thefasttimes.net. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll be launching a, a, a weekly newsletter that really, really speaks to, in the voice of Gen X, you know, cultural events and things that are happening today, but again, in the Gen X voice. And I think we're going to you know, start there and, and, and see where it goes. First of all, congrats. That is, Thank you. That's amazing. So are you guys talking about news, uh, just cultural topics? lifestyle what is it about like what's in the next edition sure it's it's it, it's actually going to cover uh it's going to be three to four short short articles uh it's going to be very kind of mobile friendly a quick minute and a half read and it will cover we're not going to get too political but again as <laughs> things um are unfolding around the world and, and in the united it. states you can't avoid it exactly but a lot of what we're going to be doing is comparing you know thinking at how history repeats itself comparing things that are happening today to things that happened in in the late 70s and the 80s it may be 
if you know Apple is having an event and launching a new version of their iPhone in the next couple of weeks, comparing that to when the Sony Walkman came out and what you know what it it did for portable music and and how uh, Gen X really kind of embraced this. And we're going to be doing a lot of that. We're going to be sharing again news and culture, but tying it back to cultural events uh, that that Gen X helped shape. Um, some of them might be tough things to talk about. It might be looking at, for example, how the, you know, opioid crisis that's still going on, uh, you know, looking at AIDS back in the 80s when that came out. And there were a lot of things that were uh, unknown and, you know, a lot of fear and a lot of ways that people had ideas on how to, to, um, to address it. And there were a lot right. of missteps and there were a lot of things that worked. And again, that could be COVID, it could be opioids, it could be a lot of different things. Um, but we are looking at, at diving into science, diving into um, pop culture, certainly in TV that's coming out now. We're seeing so many remakes from the 80s, you know, Punky Brewster and um, The Facts of Life. And all of these shows are looking at remakes because of the popularity of those shows you know, when there were only three channels and when, um, when that was what people talked about, those folks are now craving for, I think, more of this, um, more of this type of comfort in, in their viewing habits. And, and obviously the studios and the, you know, are, are taking note of that. And we, we want to kind of share that news first through this newsletter. That's, that's amazing. Well, good luck with it. I can't wait to see it. I do have a, a few, a uh, couple of friends uh, in uh, Gen X, so I'm gonna <laughs> be looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. To be sharing with them. I want to go back to your journey, and we have definitely touched upon the highlights of your career. And you know, in this podcast, I like to talk about the the challenges and uh, and the struggles as well. And I I want to ask you, what was the lowest point in your career? I would say. Both low. Uh, there, there are two two that come come to mind quickly. Both have to do with with products that just needed a little bit more time. The most recent mm -hmm. one was Filmstruck, and you may be familiar with that. Filmstruck had a presence in the UK, and um, this yep. was an amazing streaming service. It was the first one that uh, that Turner uh, that that Warner Media ever um, launched, and it was really geared towards cinephiles, and it was independent foreign and art house films. And we had worked with the Criterion Collection and built this amazing streaming service and had a, a really nice um, subscriber base and it was growing. And unfortunately in late 2018, as plans for HBO Max started coming together, the company decided to refocus efforts on HBO Max as the, you know, the, the main streaming service and Filmstruck was closed. And that was, that was definitely a professional blow because of the amount of work and marketing and, and messaging that we had or, and, and the audience that we built that loved this product so much. And it wasn't just the audience. It was, it was some of the, the, the biggest directors in the world. It was, it was the Martin Scorsese's of the world and the, and the Francis Ford Coppola's that loved Filmstruck and for it to be shut down, um, you know, where we were really just starting to gain the momentum we needed and what we had done off of a very small marketing budget. And, you know, it was a startup within a, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. And that's how it was treated in a good way. It was treated like that. And we were all, you know, everyone working mm -hmm. on it 
um, at TCM and, and, and in other areas of the company were um, so dedicated to this. So that was, that was a very disappointing um, recent, you know, yep. within the last couple of years uh, feeling that I had within the company. And then I would just go back to beach.com as, as one on my own that uh, again, you know, it's, it's really looking back and seeing that focus is so incredibly important when you know not just, not just, you know, at large companies, but certainly when you're, when you've got a, you know, you're doing something entrepreneurial and you've got everything on your shoulders, making sure that you don't um, waste any time doing things that are not part of that core mission. We just lost our focus. We started doing too much. And unfortunately, I didn't have enough conversations with the mentors in my life and share with them what was going on. I just kind of wrote it out. And I think if I had probably made three phone calls to people in my life that I just have a tremendous amount of respect for, and, and I know they would have been just dead honest with me and said, you need to stop doing these 10 things and focus on one. And I think it, that could have made a difference in, in the life of, of Beach.com's uh, business. So I think those are the two things that really have, have, have haunted me professionally. Steve, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I really do. This actually takes me to my next question, and I think you partially answered it, talking, you know, about focus and, you know, uh, picking your fights and picking your priorities. Uh, but I want to, I still want to ask, you know, talking about challenges and struggles, if there's, you know, what were the habits or, or skills or the behaviors in, in yourself that you struggled the most to develop? And what are some current ones that you're working hard to improve? Sure. Um, I'll start with the current. Uh, I think if I looked back at 2020, um, I think the biggest, the biggest mistake that I made um, was communication. Uh, and that was, that was communication internally with mm. my team. Um, that's something that I, that I always work to improve, you know, kind of always having that focus on the business and on moving forward. And certainly there was a focus on how people were doing, but I think that it shouldn't have been as intentional as it was. You know, I, I would make it a point, you know, to say, okay, it's, it's Friday afternoon. I want to check in with these three people and see how they're doing. And then, you know, I would almost cross the, you know, cross them off the list and say, okay, in, in, in a month and a half or two months, I'll do that again. And, and while I tried throughout the week to touch base individually with, with either someone on my team or someone in the larger network, just to say hi, because if we were in the office, we would, I would be, we would be bumping into them 10 times a day. Yeah. Um, I think it was more to me about, you know, not about recognizing that you know, this is something that's just ongoing. I mean, everyone is dealing with different challenges, whether they have small kids at home, whether they have, um, you know, whether they have older kids at home, whether they don't have kids at all and they're alone in a, in a condo or in a house. Um, all of these things kind of were happening and everyone was, was um, facing their own challenges. And I was, I don't think I spent enough time recognizing that. And, and that I wish was a do-over. Um, but all I can do is move forward and think about how I can better communicate in the future. But that was something that was, it was a challenge for me. And then looking back, I know I said focus before, I think that was something that I learned from uh, the boss that I had at Turner Classic Movies for, for three and a half or so years, um, a woman named Paula Shagnon, 
who is now the general manager of the network as well. She was so focused herself, but she really instilled that on her leadership team. And I and uh, the, what I learned from her is that again, I would say I, I would I would go into her office and, and say to her, "Hey, this is something we're going to do. It's not going to it's it's not going to cost any money. It's easy." And she would, you know, she would pause and say, "Okay, it may not cost hard dollars, but let's look at how much time it's going to spend, energy, how many resource, yeah. energy, the resources." and the other people that are going to be involved in this. Even though people had said, oh yeah, I'd love to be a part of that project. Uh, I, can, I can find the time for it. She would break it down and then we would discuss it and, and, and I would leave thinking, you know what, that wasn't just an easy thing to do. That actually involved a lot of different steps that I really hadn't taken account for. So I think that focus throughout the, the three and a half years, that's something that I've really... Um, really improved on in terms of thinking forward and uh and knowing that everything you do um takes energy and it's funny it reminds me of a really quick story i remember back in about 10 or so years ago in 2009 i ran uh, the new york city marathon and i remember there was a coach that was working with a bunch of us that were training and the coach said you're going to be so tempted when you run past the crowds to high five people because everyone's <laughs> going to put their hand out and you're going to want to high five them because you're going to feel like a rock star when you're, when you're <laughs> running through Manhattan. Um, he said, but it takes energy. And when you get to the 23rd or 24th or 25th mile, you're going to have less energy because when you were on the seventh mile, you decided for a hundred yards to high five the crowd. And it's something that, um, that just stuck with me in that um, you've got to remember where you can serve your energy. Um, when you're working on on projects or initiatives and have deadlines and where you want to spend it. And I think that's something that, again, I struggled with earlier in my career and I've, I've definitely improved on within every experience I've had. That is amazing advice. And that, you know, that's actually answering to my next question that I had about giving advice to people just starting out in, in this world, because our industry is very complex and very competitive, probably more complex and more competitive than ever. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, being extremely focused on what you do and, you know, conserving, preserving your energy, as you mentioned, um, that, is, that is very, very important. Sure. And I would say, I would also add um, that I think being resourceful is extremely important for people starting out in their careers. Mm, yeah. Um, no matter what size company you're at, you could be at a company. I mean, I, I remember at Coca-Cola, there was a department called presentation graphics. This is back in the late 90s. You didn't have to do your own presentation. Wow. Uh, you could simply <laughs> jot down on, on pieces of paper what you kind of wanted to say and what you wanted it to look like. And a group of two or three people that just sat in a, in a, in a dark closet, you know, in an interior office, you'd hand it off and, and six hours later, they would, they would send you your presentation. And um, so whether you're in a situation like that where someone is doing your presentations for you or you're a startup with a partner or you're, yep. you're going at it solo, um, I think being resourceful in getting things done is, just, is, is not only critical to the task, but it's very impressive to, to a manager and to a team to see that you know, you know how to tackle that challenge. You know, you've, you've figured it out on your own. And that's something that has always impressed me when I'm managing a team and I see someone that, you know, we talk about 
a way that we, you know, something with, with Turner Classic Movies that we, you know, we wanted to shoot something a certain way or we wanted to create a marketing campaign. And all of a sudden, someone on the team would come back with not just the ideas, but, okay, I actually spoke to this person and this group and legal and this is what we can do and this is how we're, where we're going to find this and this is and it's just seeing someone that takes it that next step and and yep. shows how um how they're thinking is is someone you want on your team yeah uh, and there's something else to say about resourcefulness not just the, the fact that you come off as very very prepared as, as you mentioned and it, you know it's very important for the organization but it's also it you know it builds up your confidence just because you can you can see for yourself how independent you can be, how you can get things done on your own. And I mm -hmm. think that builds up your confidence, which is something that you need a lot when you're, you know, very, very early in your career. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's certain expressions um, that I just can't stand. And it's when someone says, um, you know, that's above my pay grade. I don't know if you've heard that one before. Yeah. I just, I can't, I can't stand that. I think that's such a, it's such a, an excuse. Um, nothing is above your pay grade. I, I've told folks that are just a few years into their career on my team that, you know, their title might be assistant social media manager, but in my opinion, they're an executive at, at Warner Media. They are representing the brand in anything they do and everything that they do. So they should never look at, at something as above their pay grade. They are representing the company. And um, I think it's important for people to, to, to know that. You mentioned um, this expression um, above the pay grade. And I'm curious, you know, because I had a, a similar question for you in mind about buzzwords and beliefs trending today in our world, either in marketing or in corporate, that is just annoying us and, and you know, we disagree with. Sure. Is, <laughs> is this the one or do you have something else in mind? Well, that's, that's certainly an expression that, that, that I've never liked, but I think today, more relevant than ever before, there are, there are certainly some, there were always opportunities when you wanted to talk to someone where it was a quick phone call. Um, and I think today, making that into a video call and going through the whole optics of, <laughs> you know, yeah. setting up, you know, it, I think people have to just think about, is, is that necessary? Could, could a text message or could a quick mm -hmm. phone call, almost, almost like thinking about if you were back in the office, would you set up a meeting for something or would you just walk over to someone's desk? And this is, you know, as, as we continue to evolve and come out of, um, of the initial uh, you know, the initial first year of COVID and, and what this is going to look like moving forward, because we know that our world is, is, is going to be irreversibly changed. Um, and we're not going to go backwards. We know that. So thinking yeah. about that, I think um, one of the things that bothers me, I've, I've gotten Zoom and, um, and video conference, um, you know, invitations for something that was very easily a quick phone call where, you know, no one had to, again, you know, get their setup all, you know, together and, and, and stop what they were doing. So I think that's something that I found um, a little bit annoying in terms of a very recent trend. I think the other thing that I find frustrating more so than annoying is I'm, I'm a big fan of, of email and I think it's become a great sales tool, but I've experienced over the last year more um, automated emails, particularly from folks that are looking to sell or to connect 
and the technology just, I know, we know the technology is there, but of course the data behind the technology or the human element, when it's missing, it really comes off unprofessional in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, I've got emails before where it's referencing, again, I've got emails saying, hey, um, hey, Steve Denker, we'd love to talk to you about, you know, who your CRM partner is for Filmstruck. Filmstruck was closed two years ago. So before this email was sent, it would have been nice for someone to just double check that information because that's a company I don't want to do business with, no matter how good their product is. And it's very easy to tell when a company, when an automated company is, is kind of stripping a title off of, uh, of a LinkedIn um, profile or, you know, and they'll say something like, hey, we'd love to talk to you about Turner Broadcasting Systems, Inc., Mm -hmm. Instead of Warner Media, and, you know, Turner Broadcasting Systems Inc. Ha again, that that doesn't exist anymore, and it hasn't for a while. And even if it did, that's not how someone would refer to the company. They would say, "Hey, we know you're a Turner. Um, I'd love to talk to you about your social media strategy." So I think that I think that that human element that's missing is is it, it that's something that is frustrating to me because I, I think it's an important part of building a relationship. And if if someone can't at least check to see if a company name is represented properly on that first email, then I think there's going to be a disconnect moving forward with that company. That is amazing advice. I, I love it a lot. What I love about it the most is that you don't seem to actually have that much of an issue with just the concept of cold emailing in general, as much as the fact that it's not really, it's not personalized. It's not really personalized. Just the, you know, hi, Steve isn't <laughs> a personalized right. email. It's not personalized enough. Um, so just the human touch of the email. So you're, you don't necessarily, um, you're not necessarily bothered that much by the fact that people reach out to you out of nowhere, as much as the fact that they don't, you know, actually write, you know, a personal email to you. Exactly, Ksenia. I mean, I, I have... I have done business with, with folks that have reached out cold because their emails have been intriguing and I've wanted to follow up with them. Yeah. And they, all of them have one thing in common. They did have a touch of personalization. Someone did their homework before they sent that to me. And the second was they weren't trying to sell me on a first email when I don't <laughs> know anyone at the company or anything that they do. It was a very simple, um, you know, clear um, and, and focused message about, hey, you know, we don't know your business. However, we're, you know, we are working with some folks in your industry. We, uh, this is what we do. And I'd love to set up, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. And that's fun. It's funny because one other thing that, that is just kind of a little thing that gets me is when people say, I need five minutes of your time. <laughs> because to me, if, that's not enough time for us to have a conversation. I mean, if you're not confident enough that I'm going to give you 30 minutes, a 30 minute block, then, um, then, then, you know, I don't know if I want to take a call that where you tell me that you're going to be able to convince me because it's going to be a, just a sales pitch. And the first thing I want to know is tell me how you heard about the company. What do you know about the industry? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you doing? You know, I don't want to rush that into five minutes. And I've gotten a lot of emails in the past couple of years that have said, I need, I need five minutes of your time to convince you why you should be working with us. And it just did to me for, for the, the partners that I look for, yeah. the, you know, I, I, it just, it needs to be a little bit more substantial. Yeah. It shouldn't be an elevator pitch. It should be, you know, a conversation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes.
Good. Well, to wrap up our conversation, Steve, I have uh, a couple of uh, quick rapid fire session questions. And, you know, the first quick question for you is what is your, you know, personally your favorite social media network? That's a great question. I love Twitter. I really do. Um, so you know, you're, it's, you're I, a Twitter person. I'm, okay. I'm a Twitter person. If, <laughs> I, I know it's, I know it's not the most um, visual platform like Instagram, mm -hmm. but I think Twitter, um, for me, it's, it's one of my morning routines. I will look at the, the trends when I wake up in the morning just to see if anything happened overnight that I want to be aware of or read more on. Yep. I, I get a lot of my news from Twitter, from the handles that I follow that provide uh, what's going on. And I love the fact that it's just so democratic and that you can really reach out to, you know, whether they respond or not, you can share your thoughts and opinions yep. with someone else. And I mean, the downside for me with all of them is just the, the brand health. I mean, you know, it's, it's certainly a platform that can become very disrespectful very quickly, and it can be a, a very nasty place to communicate on. But, you know, I try to stay above that. I, I try to um, certainly follow respectful handles and opinions of people and, and do the same if I want to share something. But, but uh, I, I do like Twitter. Yeah. Good. Well, um, my second question is, what's your favorite app or tool that you use at work? So there's, there's an app that I've been using for a couple of years now that I absolutely love, and it's called Mobile Day. Mobile Day? Mobile Day. I and never heard of it. So this is a one-touch app. Into It syncs with your calendar, and it's one-touch into any conference call. So if you are in a car, on a treadmill, if you're doing something and you don't have time to dial the phone number and the extension and, you know, all of that, it can read, it can read the string, uh, you know, of, of what your phone number is. And it's a one touch into any conference call. And I absolutely love that. So it doesn't matter if, and it also can read, um, the the way that someone has invited you if if instead of saying extension they say you know x342 or whatever it is it can process that and it's not gonna i've never had it come back to me and say i you know we can't complete this huh. and it's just it is it really has been such a pleasure to hit this if i'm in the middle of something and, and again it not have to take a few minutes out to call in and then you know, we all get these invitations and the extension into a conference call is yep. 10 numbers and you're staring at it and you put it in wrong because, you know, someone doesn't use dashes or yeah. dots and it's, you know, all of a sudden you've messed it up and all of a sudden it's five minutes to call into a conference call and this is one touch on your, on your mobile. So I love mobile day. So it syncs with your, uh, with your calendar or something. That's where it takes uh, the data for the, yes. for the conference. That's amazing. And it, can, that and it syncs with, mul with, with multiple calendars too. It can sync with personal calendars, with, with Outlook. It syncs with, with multiple locations. So anything, you know, and you can look at your day on mobile day and it will show you here are the four calls that you have, all the information is in and just one touched into the call. <laughs> I, I'm just checking their website and they have a very, very cheeky brand <laughs> uh, on, the, on, on their head, header. It says, give dialing the finger. <laughs> it's very funny. I love that. That's great. Uh, that's very bold. Okay. And my last question that I have for you, Steve, is uh, if you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today, what else would you do? That's, that's such a fun question. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I think back to, to when I was much, much younger, I always wanted to be an architect. I think that was the first oh, wow. career path that I, that I thought of. Um, now, it ended quickly because I did not realize how much math was involved in being an architect. <laughs> and math and, and physics is not my strong suit. So uh, the dream died early. But I, I was just fascinated with architecture and, and building. And I think part of, the, part of my creative comes from that because I, I look at um, everything from deco to modern and... And I think when I look at brands, I, I happen to be a big fan of throwback brands. I love, you know, Jordan ones. And I love brands that, um, that are going back to their roots, like what Burger King is doing. And these are things that, uh, again, it, it, it excites me as a marketer. Yeah. And I think that's, again, thinking back to architecture and, and building and, uh, and branding. So that's, that's, I think, what I would be doing if I, uh, if I could go back in time and be a better math student. I may have pursued, <laughs> pursued uh, architecture and design. There's a, a parallel universe somewhere where you do that, where you do well, just that. <laughs> that. That would be wonderful, Ksenia. That would be terrific. <laughs> well, Steve, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Thanks for taking the time to share your story with our audience. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Certainly. Thank you so much for having me. And again, please stay well and best to, to you and your friends and family. Thank you. And for everyone else listening in, thank you for joining. I hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget we have new ones every Wednesday. Subscribe to People of Marketing on your favorite podcast app. Until next time.